I'm going to open us with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for another day you've given us to come and worship you. Lord, we walk into this place today with countless issues in each one of our lives. Lord, for some, it's an ongoing struggle with our physical bodies that are failing us. And there are people here in pain. There are people that are not here because of pain. There are people here who are struggling, who need healing. And Lord, ultimately, only you can provide it. So we pray that you would meet our physical needs. We also pray, Lord, for the struggles that we have against our own sin. We want to obey you, and yet we continually struggle against our own flesh that pulls us away from obedience. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us today to be equipped for the battle against the flesh. And I pray, Lord, for those of us who have struggles with our family, of family members and family relationships and a whole host of things. Lord, the problems that we bring to your place as we gather as your people are endless and it's part of being in a fallen world. So I just pray, Lord, today that you'll help us to set aside our problems. You'll help us think about them theologically and correctly and we'll set them aside for now to worship you. Now pray, Lord, as we have opportunities to hear the Word of God taught, that we would not just pile up knowledge for ourselves, Lord, but that you would motivate our hearts to see how we might obey and follow your Word on our daily lives. We love you, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was looking through my notes, and I last taught in First Peter back in June, which is hard for me to believe because we're already to October, but I am... Excited to have the opportunity to go back to the Word of God. And as you open your Bibles, if you don't recall, we are in 1 Peter chapter 4. And the verses that we're going to cover today, it's starting at verse 12. And I'm not going to get past verse 12 today. So I'll just say that. And I won't even cover all of verse 12 today, but that's okay. The Lord is sovereign, and I have good expectations when I start, and then it takes on its own life once I start processing and preparing. As we are there, I'm not going to do a comprehensive review of the book of First Peter, but just as a brief reminder, First Peter is really, in my view, about our holiness. It's about... Living holy even when life is difficult. I've gone to it many times, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 to 16, it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy." Everything else in the book is centered on how to be holy when life is difficult. And so there's lessons about how you respond to the government. How do you respond to your employer? How do you respond to your spouse? No matter the circumstances, we're called to be holy. And First Peter takes away any excuses that we might want to make for our sin. Because no matter what's going on, no matter the difficulty, no matter the injustice or unfairness or anything else, you always have the ability to be holy if you're a child of God. 
So Peter is exhorting us, impressing us, and it's not just for our own sake, it's for the sake of the gospel, because our lives lived out in front of a fallen world are a testimony. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, again, it's still the same idea of holiness, but it's showing the implications Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, a fallen lost world is always watching us. And if you bear up, and keep your behavior excellent by God's strength and enablement, then some of the unbelievers who might be mocking you now may be drawn to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and one day they may repent and believe. The transforming power of the gospel is supposed to be a reality, and it's supposed to play out in our lives daily in holiness, in our obedience to the word. And I mentioned that it's supposed to happen no matter the context. And in 1 Peter, there's a particular context that keeps coming up over and over and over again. I've already alluded to it in what I just read. But it's this idea of unfairness, of injustice, of persecution. Suffering unfairly, having things happen to you that are negative from any type of normal way of looking at it because you are a Christian. We've already covered a lot of verses like this. And I'm emphasizing this because that's exactly what we're going to start dealing with today for the next many weeks. But it's starting even in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6. 1 Peter 1 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. So there's that idea of trials, of, of difficulties. I just read 1 Peter 2.12, talking about keeping your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that the thing in which they slander you as evildoers. In other words, they're speaking badly about Christians. 1 Peter 2.19, slightly different context, but it's the same idea. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 14, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. In other words, you've not done anything wrong, but you're suffering anyway. Down in verse 16, it talks about those in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior. Verse 17, for it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. So, Peter understood that in a fallen world, believers who are pursuing obedience are going to encounter hostility. In fact, what you see in the context is a lot of that hostility came in the form of false accusations, of slander, of being lied about, of being accused of things that weren't true. But none of it was an excuse to respond in kind. The believers were still being called to be holy as God is holy regardless 
of what they were suffering. And again, we've covered this in detail. We're going to be covering this in more detail. What's the natural human reaction when something is unfair? It's to say, that's not fair. That's wrong. But it can go a little farther because if we're not thinking correctly, it can cause a believer to start to wonder, did God forget about me? I look around on Sunday and all these people are happy and smiling and I am suffering. Does God care? It's interesting to me. It's one of the things that in my own heart, the Spirit uses to testify to the reality that God's Word is true, is that the issues being dealt with in the Word of God are relevant in every age, including today. In 2,000 years, things haven't really changed. Technology might be different, the world might look a little different, but when it comes to the issues of the human heart and our relationships to a lost and dying world, nothing has changed. And when we have struggles, we think it's unfair, just like they would have thought. And we use words like justice. And when we're mistreated, it can be a real challenge for us. And I think for us, the challenges are magnified because to a large extent, we in America have been largely free from the hostility. Perhaps it's because of God's protective hand. Perhaps it's because Christians are not living that differently from the world. But the issues of sin before a holy God are the same now as they've ever been. And injustice and unfairness and mistreatment and misunderstanding because we're Christians is the same issue today as it was when this letter was written. So as we begin our multi-week study on the end of the chapter 4, and we'll begin at chapter 12, we're dealing with that issue again. As you can tell from the scriptures that I read, Peter has mentioned this over and over and over again, so it's not a new topic but he's going to deal with it even a little bit more detail. And he's going to give us some clarity. And he's dealing again with the issues that aren't our fault. Meaning it's just because we're believers these things happen. He's also going to deal with our own sin. If we do things wrong. If we sin and something bad happens to us. That's not persecution for Christ. That's just the consequences of sin. But what we're primarily dealing with now is this idea of injustice that comes upon us because we know Jesus Christ. So I'm going to read the rest of chapter 4 beginning at verse 12. But I've already given you a heads up that I'm not going to get very far. But it's going to set the stage because this is a unit that has a lot of instruction for us. I don't know how many parts this will be. I have no idea how many weeks it will take me to get through it. But follow along and with me as I begin reading in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. 
Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also in the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So over the course of the next several weeks, we're going to be able to learn a lot from Peter, from God's word about how not only should we respond, but how we should think about persecution that may come our way. And if you look around at our culture, and I'll allude to this more later, it's coming more and more. So I've just got a general heading, it's not a traditional outline, but a general heading of biblical principles for understanding and responding to persecution. Biblical principles for understanding and responding to persecution. You could call it injustice, you could call it unfairness. And today we're just going to cover the first point. What's the first point? It's this. Persecution of believers is normal, not exceptional. Persecution of believers is normal, not exceptional. And we're going to concentrate on verse 12. And parts of what I just said in the point will jump out at you, but I want to develop this a little bit because there's a lot here for us to think about and process. And it's important that our minds be thinking correctly. Verse 12 again, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Peter here, is beginning with what is clearly affection and love. His use of that term beloved, it, it's found in a lot of places in the New Testament, but it's full of kindness and affection and loving concern. And what follows, in a sense, is a very gentle rebuke. It's not a slap in the face because he's angry at them. It's a gentle rebuke for them to work on how they're thinking about life. And he does it out of love. He cares. And I think he's addressing them with concern and love as he has done throughout the letter. And it will prepare their hearts to hear what he's saying. Beloved. And then there's a lot of parts of this verse. 
just a single verse, but there's a lot of parts, and I'm actually going to save one part of it for later. But we're going to break this apart, and then we'll put it back together. I do that a lot because it's how I learn, it's how I process information. And the first thing we're going to have to comprehend is Peter is actually giving an imperative command. So when he's stating this negative thing, do not be surprised, he's stating it in clearly a way that this is a command of the Lord. It's an ongoing command, meaning this is not something that you do once and you say, I've checked the box, it's done. No, he's saying you've got to cultivate a certain mindset and a heart attitude that processes these events in a certain way so that you can continue to live holy because if you approach these things with the wrong mindset, you're going to struggle. You're going to be tripped up. So I'm going to pull one part of this out and reread it to you to put the first thought together. And I don't think I'm distorting the text. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you as though some strange thing were happening to you. What did I pull out? Just the explanation, which we'll get to in a later week, of why this is happening. But for now, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Now, Peter is not minimizing the very real pain and hurt that was among the people of God. In fact, he's emphasizing it. He's referring it to as, as a fiery ordeal. Now, he uses that terminology, I believe, to paint a picture of what God's doing with us. But the reality is, is fire hurts. It is painful. He's using graphic imagery. It's not literal fire, of course, in this context. But he's making it clear that the emotional and the psychological pain that is accompanying this persecution is truly real. It hurts. Is it possible that some were suffering physical persecution? Possibly, but what you've seen over and over as I read scriptures this morning is slander, false accusation, accused unjustly. A lot of it is just the hurt of the heart. He's focusing on the intensity of the ordeals that are going on. It's serious and it's painful and it hurts. And the fiery ordeal among you would seem to indicate that maybe not every single believer was experiencing it at one time, but it was in the midst of the church such that everybody knew somebody who was suffering. Some people that received this letter were suffering in and of themselves and they needed to hear this, but other people were watching what was going on and they were having the wrong reaction. And again, in the context, this is not just the sinful difficulties of life. Just in our prayer request this morning... You know, there's so many people with health issues and other things, and those are difficult, and those are trials. That's not the type of fiery ordeal he's talking about here. What he's talking about, again, is 
because you name the name of Christ, you suffer. Again, a lot of this was in the form of false accusations. Being accused of things that weren't true. The word slander was used in chapter 2 verse 12. Jesus was an example of how to respond in certain circumstances. And it says he was reviled. And he suffered. 1 Peter 3.16 again used that word slandered and being reviled in your good behavior. And the idea is that Christians were being shamed and humiliated and embarrassed by false accusations. Being accused of things that weren't true. But unless you live in a hole in the ground, you realize that an accusation doesn't have to be true to destroy you. In fact, we see that occurring in our culture at a rate that I don't remember in my lifetime. Because in my lifetime, when I was younger, it was a small circle that would hear a false accusation. Now it goes out on the internet and everybody knows. Every week there are people that are ashamed and their careers are ruined and their lives are ruined. It's sad, I just read this week about a young person that committed suicide because people posted on social media humiliating and embarrassing things. And a 16-year-old boy didn't know how to respond. What he knew was that he was humiliated forever. In our world, living amongst fallen humans... Whatever our constitution seems to say about you're innocent until you're proven guilty, that's not reality in life. You're guilty as soon as somebody accuses you of something. It's part of sinful human nature. We're drawn to gossip. We're drawn to slander because we like to hear bad things about other people. Should we as believers? Of course not. But in the context of this, it's not talking about Believers doing this to the other believers, it's a fallen world and they're hurling accusations at believers because they don't like to see Christ in your life. Again, it's not just in America where people believe lies. It's always been that way. As you might imagine, as a young lawyer who came to faith in Christ when I was reading the scriptures, my mind would jump out at scriptures that seemed to talk about legal principles, because there were a lot of them, but there's a proverb, Proverbs 18.17, that says, the first to plead his case seems right, until another comes and examines him. Now, without getting into the joys of cross-examination, what's the case? The first thing we hear always sounds right. It's the reason, even in the Old Testament, you had to have more than one witness. Because it's so much damage can be done by one person... Spreading a lie. So in the context of 1 Peter chapter 4, a lot of the fiery ordeals that were coming upon believers for the name of Christ were false accusations against them because of the name of the Christ. People were seeing how they were living and it annoyed them. People were seeing what they said with their mouths and they were frustrated by it. The darkness hates the light 
and the darkness lashes out to attack the light, and it was happening then, and it happens now. You can imagine, you see now, a false accusation goes up on the internet and people lose their jobs instantly. Companies don't want to deal with that. Social media is too powerful. I don't need the hassle, you're done. Something in a different technological context probably was happening to these original believers. And it probably will continue to happen to believers today. Some may have lost jobs. Some may have lost their freedom. Some may have lost the fellowship with family members. Some may have lost their best friends. A false accusation that other people believe can hurt us in a myriad of ways. And so in this context, Peter knew that some people were suffering the fiery ordeal Some people were witnessing the fiery ordeal, hurting their friends and relatives in the church. And it's interesting that he starts out with a mild rebuke of how they were reacting instinctively to what was going on. Do not be surprised as so some strange thing were happening to you. Again, this is a command for us, but it tells us something about their reaction. When persecution was coming, when they were being slandered, when they were being reviled, what happened? They were shocked. What? I can't believe this. That happened to them? I can't even stand... This can't be right. What is going on? They were likely asking themselves the kind of questions we ask ourselves sometimes. What just happened? What? I can't believe this. That's not fair. We've all done something like that. Wait. No. That's not right. Why is this happening to me? In fact, if we're not careful... It can cause us to think wrongly about God. Because if we have in our mind that persecution or being slandered or being lied about because we're believers is a shocking thing or a strange thing or it shouldn't be happening, it can cause us to think wrongly about God and wonder, did you forget me, God? I'm trying to follow you. I thought that was a good thing. And I'm hurting. I'm trying to follow you. You say you love me. But look at my life. I hurt daily and I'm defenseless. And you're not doing anything. Now all those thoughts aren't theologically true. But it's what we think. And Peter was lovingly, carefully addressing these issues. If we have the notion in our minds that once I come to Jesus and place my faith in Him, everything is good, our thinking is wrong. Everything is good eternally. And we have complete hope. 
And God never leaves us nor forsakes us. And there's no trial, there's nothing, there's no fiery ordeal that can ever snatch us out of the Father's hand. All those things are true. But we still live amongst sinners. And we still deal with the consequences of a fallen world. So Peter's message to every one of us is to adjust our thinking in terms of what we expect out of life. Are people making false accusations against you because you're a Christian? Are people slandering you because you're a Christian? Do not be surprised as though some strange thing were happening to you. The believers at that time thought, well, this can't be normal. And Peter's saying, this is exactly what you ought to expect. This isn't a strange thing. This is a normal thing. Persecution of believers being slandered and reviled and hated by the world isn't the exception. It's the rule. Again, that was Peter's message 2,000 years ago, but it really is still the message of today. It is timely. As part of my responsibilities to protect my own family and to shepherd the flock of God here at Lakeside, I read a lot. And I read a lot about what's going on in culture. Because even as I'm preparing a message like this, I'm thinking of the reality and the application of it. And I'm looking at life unfolding every day with the cavalcade of information that comes my way. And I'm trying to keep my finger on the pulse of what the world is doing. Why? Because I want to be like the world? No. But what I have seen over and over and over again... Over the 26 years I've been a believer is what's going out in the world eventually winds up in the church. It shouldn't, but it does. And one of the things that catches my eye, and again, I don't doubt parts of it are because I still think like a lawyer, is when I see people being persecuted in some way tangibly for their faith. Again, in America, it's not generally people being arrested. Generally, if people are arrested, most of the time it's because they did something wrong. It's people losing their jobs. Or their businesses being boycotted. Or the government coming after their license to practice a particular profession because they won't get on board and do the things that society wants them to do. We see it, we've seen it with florists and bakers. We've seen it with people in the workplace. We see court cases all the time. And today's text, our passage, rebukes what is often the first Christian reaction I see accompanying this, which is, I can't believe this is happening in America. I never thought I'd live to see the day that this would happen here. We've all had that thought, because you're all, you're not young. Most of you. Hey, I'm not young. Let's, let's be very clear. I'm putting myself in this. This is not the young Mary's class. Yeah. You know, I look at my life, and in 52 years, I've seen a lot. Some of you are older than me. Some of you are younger than me. 
But I can tell you, even as an unbeliever back in the early 90s, starting to practice law, the world looks radically different. You know it does. You see it. And what we can do, particularly if we've bought into the historical mindset that we look fondly and nostalgically at when everybody seemed to be friendly to Christianity in America, even to the point, it's true, I won't get into it, but back in the late 1800s, the U.S. Supreme Court even issued a ruling where they said that America is a Christian nation. So in our mindsets, if we're not careful, we look at these stories and we go, what has happened? I can't believe it. This is outrageous. This should have never occurred. Do not be surprised. As though some strange thing were happening. You know what's strange? Is that for some reason God gave us a reprieve from this type of persecution for as long as he did. What we're seeing now is the full fury of a fallen world that hates everything that Jesus Christ stands for. And it's lashing out in countless ways across countless platforms, sometimes through the power of government, sometimes through the power of the court, sometimes just through the power of public opinion and social media. And I see over and over again, and I've had to fight the battle of my own heart, Christians just dropping their jaw. I can't believe it. I've done it. You've done it. And Peter's telling us, cut it out. What did you expect? There's not a separate version of Christianity for America. Again, the only thing that should surprise us is that we've been left alone for so long. If we're shocked and surprised that Christians who stand up for their faith are suffering in America, it's because we haven't listened carefully to what Jesus told us was going to happen. For example, and you can just write these verses down, in John chapter 15, beginning at verse 18, if the world hates you, this is Jesus talking, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, which is why the world loves churches that are changing their standards and changing their rules and discarding the Bible. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. We still live in the world in this country. Our constitution doesn't protect us from that. Again, it's generally not physical persecution, but we will increasingly be ostracized from society unless we shut up. You don't endorse gay marriage? Okay, then you're a hateful bigot. And you're a homophobe. You don't embrace abortion on demand. You're misogynistic. You hate women and you want to hurt them. And this is just about you empowering yourself at their expense. You don't recognize other religions as just as valid as yours. Then you're just a hateful bigot, Islamophobe. Add something else in there. You want to share the gospel with a Muslim or a Hindu or a Catholic? 
How dare you, you narrow-minded fool, how dare you think you have an answer? On and on it goes. Plays out in every corner of our society and it's playing out every single day. Peter's point is only this. Don't let your jaw hit the floor. Don't be surprised. This is normal, not exceptional. Paul taught what Jesus taught. For time's sake, just write down 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. 2 Timothy, what? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. In fact, that's the very first text I was ever given to teach in a Sunday school class many years ago. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. What does that look like? It looks like the world that we, we live in. Such that just a few verses down in Second Timothy chapter three verse twelve, Paul says, "Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted." The Apostle John had the same perspective. First John three thirteen. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. So here's our whole point for today, and we'll be done. It's not to discourage us because the world's a bad place. It's not to pretend as though all of those bad things aren't injustice. They are. It's not to pretend that those things aren't wrong. They are. But it's to cause us to wake up to the reality that we're on the narrow path. And everybody on the wide road that's leading to destruction doesn't like us. And if God has left you alone, well, you can praise Him for it. But don't be surprised if that ends. Don't be surprised if we find ourselves increasingly over the next weeks and months and years suffering more And more and more because we unapologetically stand with Jesus. Don't be surprised as though that's some strange thing because we live here in America. Persecution of believers is normal, not exceptional. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I realize the inadequacy of my efforts to convey your truth. Lord, I pray that you would make up for what I lack through the power of your Spirit. I believe the lessons are so critical, Lord. I believe you've presented this to us because we need to think differently and yet I struggle with how to convey these things. And so, Lord, I take comfort in the fact that your spirit can apply your word to your children's hearts. 
Prepare us and help us, Lord, to see things as they really are. Help us not to be caught off guard or shocked or taken aback when the world displays its hostility towards us. But Lord, help us to properly process and understand that this doesn't catch you by surprise. In fact, you warned us about it. It's coming and it will keep coming. Prepare us to think rightly about these trials, Lord. And in the coming weeks, as we see from your word that you allow these fiery ordeals to help us, to benefit us, to strengthen our faith, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the hard attitudes to approach these things correctly. Because we want to be holy, just as our Savior is holy. We ask all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.